0: So, let's pray to get into the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence and for your love and how you've just blessed us tonight. We cherish it so, so, so much. And honestly, I could just go home on that note of just who you are because that's what I love so much. But Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd come in the spirit of revelation and that you would speak to us in your Word, each individually in our own way, and that we would draw closer to you through this experience. We love you and we thank you so much for how you've gifted us with this. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So, we are in the book of Revelation and there are some Bibles over there. If you'd like a Bible, it is a Passion translation. They got a bunch over there if you want to kind of follow with just cuz that's what I'm reading in right now. And this is our third part, I guess you would say, but we're on chapter two. We finished chapter one last time. And I might do a little bit of review of chapter one describes you, know, what, where John was. He was on the island of Patmos, and how uh, this is actually, you know the revelation of Jesus, given to him by God, then given to an angel and given to John to send out to the churches and, and write this book. And we follow along. Of, uh, we saw Jesus in the lampstand realm of actually him ministering to his churches. It was the picture images of his love and his compassion and his holiness walking among the lampstands, giving his anointing oil that kept them burning. And and we finish that up with all of the pictures and images of Jesus, and then in right at the end of one, we go into two, and it's where Jesus is saying, "Okay, this is what my letters. I want you to send to these seven churches, and, and now it's today is uh, Turkey. There were seven different churches in this area, and he's sending these letters, uh, addressing each one in there." issues and all this stuff and so we'll kind of find well let me before we go into this i'm gonna i'm gonna hammer this one thing no matter what you think about revelation what is revelation the book revelation about it's about jesus chapter one verse one says this is the revelation or in another word this is the unveiling of jesus And so this is actually how Jesus, this is what Jesus looks like. This is how Jesus acts. This is his, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but he's also the lamb of God. He's the lion of Judah. He's all of these amazing things. And this is actually unveiling him to us. And as he's unveiled to us, we get unveiled because he is inside of us and we are created in in his image. And so this is an incredibly exciting book for us. In the next 20 years, as we continue on, this book will become one of the most cherished books in our lives because we will sit down and we will read it, not as a scary, terrible book about the end times, but actually a beautiful representation of who Jesus is inside of us and how he treats us and how he views us and how he wants to literally ride in on a white horse to kill the old man inside of us. That's what he's coming. He's coming with purity. He's coming with holy. And he's coming with uh, love. And so it's all these wonderful things. And I was reading chapter five the other day and I was just going, oh my gosh, just getting hit. It was just, it was just incredible because I was reading about Jesus and it was blowing my mind. And I was just like, this is awesome. Like this just fires me up. And so I think that's, it is a, an amazing amazing thing. So this is the unveiling. This is about Jesus. That's lesson one. And so as we go through and as we read the different letters to the different churches, we have to understand that there's the application of them for their day, but it is seven different churches, which is seven is like The number of completion and it's showing that this is not and we'll even read a verse in here that's saying to all the churches and all the people listen to what the spirit is saying to you today that this is applicable for us today this is not just for their churches back then but it's for our churches now and for all period of time it is the word of god it is it's not like well throw it out the door because you know that was something for them back then it it was something for them back then but it's also something for us now and so we can we, we can draw from that and see what Jesus does. And there is, so there's understanding of what it meant for them. There's understanding for what it means for us personally. You should take every word in the Bible and go, what does this mean to me personally? But then also there's understanding of the broad view of like the church and then what it means in time. And we probably won't spend a lot of time on it, but there, there is a view, and I, I don't have really anything wrong with it, is that there's a view that each letter is actually a representation of, of the seven um, periods of the church throughout history. And it's kind of interesting because it actually lines up quite well with all the different, there's the great heater turning off. So, So there's that understanding. We won't get into that because that's not what we're focusing on, but it is something that you can look into. So let's just jump into it. Chapter 2, verse 1. Write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Ephesus. For these are the words, the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. Um, let's, before we actually get into what he says. The Ephesus, uh, Ephesus is the meaning is desirable, or darling. And so the, the meaning of actually Ephesus, and that's why Ephesians is the church of Ephesus, is it actually means darling one. And it is, this is the same Greek word that a, that a bridegroom would use for the girl he desires to marry. So Jesus is even saying, so the city they're, they're, where they're at and the church there and it's representing is that you are my desirable church and I love you and I want to marry you and it's, and it's that love and that's what they're uh, there and there's this whole thing talks about love in this one and so it's falling along with that picture. Um, let's see and so and it says that these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand. We saw earlier on that that was Jesus. It said that when John said, I turned around and I saw the Son of Man, he was walking, he had seven stars in his right hand. And he even says, send this message to the seven stars, his, or in another thing, it calls them messengers. And so what's interesting is the leaders of that church, or in this one, it's called messengers. In some Bibles, it will say angel. And we kind of talked about that. Uh, a lot of translations will say angel But it doesn't actually really make sense for it to be an angel. Why does an angel need a letter, right? Why does an angel, uh, the angel is giving John this stuff to send to another angel? John's writing a letter to the messenger of that church, right? And so give this to that messenger, but it's kind of the same thing. And he's, but he's going, these are the messengers and they're the stars in my right hand. The right hand is the representation of authority and power. And so... You can imagine that the messengers or uh, leaders of that church show up on one Sunday and they go, okay, guys, I am a star in the right hand of Jesus, and I have a letter from him for you today. I bet that was a little bit shocking, but that's just what the word says. So, but, and in it, and then, so he's saying, I'm giving this letter to the authoritative people, to my messengers to those churches, And I walk among the churches and minister to them. And he already painted that picture. So, then we'll go into verse 2 of what he's actually saying to them. I know all that you've done for me. You've worked hard and persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You have tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not, for they were imposters. I also know you have bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name. Yet you have not become discouraged. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. Although, to your credit, you despise the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also despise. The one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying now to all the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give you access to feast on the fruit of the tree of life that is found in the paradise of God. That, that is loaded, but I think just as we begin it's so assuring. He goes, Jesus, Jesus, we're talking about here, goes, I know everything that you've done for me. And he's telling him, I see all your small things. I see all your acts. I see everything that you do. And he's like, and I recognize it. I recognize what you've done. I recognize what you've done. I, I, I see that. And, and even for us today, Jesus is going, I, I see what you do in the, when, when everything, when nobody is looking, I see what you're doing. And in this, it's so special. We get to see it in a letter that he sends the whole church, but it's the same, the way he views us. He goes, what you do in the dark, what nobody sees in the good acts and the time and the prayer that you do and the love that you have for people and all of this stuff, I see it. Like, don't get discouraged. I see it. I see what you're doing. You have worked hard and persevered and know that you don't tolerate evil. You have tested those who claim to be apostles and proved that they are not. Now, this doesn't prove that there's not apostles or there's not a prophets. It just means that there's fake ones, right? We, you know, I think the statement is we don't stop spending money just because there's counterfeits out there. Right? He's not saying, all right, all apostles are fake. And you guys proved it. No, he said, you tested some of these guys that say they were apostles? They, you know, they didn't line out. He's saying, good job to test the people. He's like, that's a good plan. And and he's not saying or proving that there's not apostles. He's actually proving that there is because he's going, you're testing them. That's good. And uh, I know you have endured trials and persecutions because of my name yet you have not been discouraged Uh, that is cool because it says in the aramaic it can be translated you endured suffering without complaining and so like jesus is saying guys like i see what you've done and you've gone through trials and persecutions because of me and he's actually cheering on going you didn't complain through it good job. And when I read that, I'm like, it kind of, I'm like, it's a little bit humbling for me. It's a little bit hard for me. Because, you know, a lot of times when we go through trials, I know, I don't know if I'm the only person, but I might complain a lot through it. But when I get to the other side, I was like, yeah, I made it. And Jesus is going, yeah, but you complained an awful lot. (laughs) And I'm like, what? And I think so often we get into the mindset of, well, if I get to the end, that's all that matters. You know, it's the whole mindset. The end justifies the means, right? Of, well, if I get to the end and we made it through, yeah, you know, we'll just forget that stuff. We made it. And he's going, no, guys, I'm, I want to live in you every single day. I want to become your daily Jesus, not your end result Jesus. You know, He's like, I don't want to transform the end. He says, I don't care if you make it through a trial and something good happens in the end, but every day in between, I'm not your Jesus. He's, I want to be your daily Jesus that every single day when you go through persecution and trials because of me, I want to be there with you and I don't want complaining because I'm going to be there. Am I not enough for your daily trials, for your daily problems? I want to be your daily Jesus. And so he's going, I see what you did there. Man, you guys did that for me. When you signed up, you knew you were going to have some bad stuff, but then when you got into it, you didn't complain. That's awesome. You're going to get a crown, and you guys are overcomers. You will see all the way through this book, Jesus emphasizes I love overcomers. I love people that when they go through problems, or they go through the pressing of Jesus, of the tribulation, of being formed into his image, that you are overcomers. He says, we'll get into there later, but he says, you will be rewarded by your overcoming. He doesn't go, well, you you know, you'll be rewarded by not sinning. He goes, I don't care, that's dead, that's gone. We forget that stuff, you're a brand new creation. But you know what, you, what I do, you do get rewarded for? Is how you actually become me. And if you become me, you overcome. And so he's saying, I'm gonna give you a crown of life when you overcome. You're gonna be judged by your overcoming because that is the fulfillment of what I died for. So I, I think it's awesome. But I have this one thing against you. So we'll see in every single one of these letters, Jesus is a awesome leader and and all that stuff, is that he always puts criticism between two uh, two breads of love. He makes a little love sandwich and right in the middle, he sneaks in a little bit of criticism, a little thing, a little critique of, hey, that's a little jacked up. We need to fix that. But I love you guys so much, you know, and I know for an absolute fact that I don't do that very much. I'm like, well, let me just get straight to the point here. Jesus is like, I'm not going to beat around the bush, but I am going to say what I like about you. And and it's so fun. Every single one of these things, his gift is more of himself. Like he's saying, you guys walked away, you know, in other translations that your first love, but it's like your foremost burning, passionate love. He's saying, you guys walked away from that, but it's okay if you'll repent. And he says, and let me give you some of myself just to, to help you get along in there. It's just, it's really awesome. You've abandoned the passion love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen and repent. And so he's going, think about how far you have fallen. It's just like Adam and Eve. It's just about, it's just like in the garden. He's going, look at how far you've fallen. Look at where you began of where we walked together in the garden, but, and then you fell and look how far you've fallen He says, but then he's saying, I'm inviting you back into the garden of fellowship. I'm saying, come back to me. And he says, and repent. And it was so interesting when Brian Simmons, he breaks down the word repent. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's even going to take, he says, okay, generally the understanding for repent is to change your mind, right? And he says, that's actually not a very good representation of it. He says, what's a better representation is get a new mind. Right? So he doesn't go, it's not, I'm walking this way and I should repent and turn the other way. He's saying, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you need to get the mind of Christ. He's saying, when you repent, it literally means you need to get a brand new operating system, a brand new processor that you you get the whole mind of Christ. And so he's saying come back to that love at the beginning and get a brand new mind. Think totally different. Don't just change the way you're thinking, just totally new. And like, yes, I think that's a better option. And then do the works of love you did the first. Uh, And so it's like that motivation that we had for him in the beginning, he's going, man, like, I think it's so important sometimes just to kind of look back over our life and go, man, like, look at the way I loved him. And I've had that experience many times where you're like, man, I feel, you know, I feel out of place. I feel funky or whatever. And I start looking back at where I kind of was and I go, oh, I actually am not where I'm supposed to be when I kind of do a quick check. And I go, oh, I need to get back to that. You know, it's like what Dawson was talking about in the beginning of sometimes we get in this rut and stuff. We don't even realize it. But if we'll actually take a recollection in a reflection of what jesus has done for us and also where we have been with him we can go i want to get back to that but i want to go farther than that you know uh oh dear someone's unhappy and he says i will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent um and i think that's just interesting he's going he's literally saying You've lost your love. And when you lose your love, then you lose your ability to influence this world. Right? He, he, he didn't, he, he was just telling them that they could suffer tribulations and they could go all through this stuff. But he said, because you lost your love for me, you're not able to love the world the way I want you to. And I'm going to take away your influence because I won't allow you to influence a world without my love. Like that's pretty big right there. And, like, I think, weren't we just having this conversation, like, last week, Dawson, about having love for people and actually coming back into that place of just loving people? And it was, it's just this, and everything, the whole theme about this thing is love, is that he's going, dude, you're not able to be me without love, right? Because the greatest of these things is love. And if you don't know how to love like me, then I'm going to take away your influence cause, so you can... Because i can't let you influence a world that it's not a representation of me and so this is this is the thing if we we are supposed to be transformed into the image of christ right and day by day we work out our salvation and day by day we become jesus he's living inside of us and he's like a fountain inside of us not a puddle and then he's bursting out of us and we become like him but we have to actually make the effort of going i'm going to make an effort i'm actually going to change i'm actually going to work on my crap i'm actually going to change what's inside of me i'm going to get the lies out of me because i'm supposed to be transformed in the image of christ the measure in which i am transformed into the image of christ is the measure in which this world is transformed right and also he says, I'm coming back for a bride that is pure and holy and that looks like me. So the more that we are transformed into his image, it act, that's actually what quickens Jesus' return. It's not because the world gets so bad. The world's going to get bad. We got that. But it's actually because of us being transformed into his image. So we should not neglect wanting to... Imp- we should not neglect the improvement of us becoming the image of Christ. Because that's why Jesus is going. That's what I'm coming back for. So if it's me, I'm like, whoa, I'm going to really focus on becoming like Jesus. And that's not like works or me trying to try harder. It's actually just me getting into his presence and getting and listening to him and getting into his word and being obedient to those things, right? Uh, But it's incredibly important. It's not just like, oh you know, I feel like being one of those super Christians and really getting into it. No. It's about, it's you determine if Jesus comes back. You're the bride. And that's what we have to get. Even no matter, that's what we're all going to have to understand. No matter how alpha male we are, we have to get into our minds that we are the bride. Right? And so that's super important. Verse 6. Although to your credit you despise the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also despise. So there's about two understandings. You can find two basic understandings of that word, Nicolaitans, and their history through time. Uh, One of them is that they had uh, uh, teachings of some pagan god stuff. But then another understanding of throughout history is that the Nicolaitans were the first people to really start instituting The idea of, like, clergy and laity, right? Or the whole priesthood thing and the, you know, wearing the robe and the hat and the different levels and all this stuff like that. It's one view is that it's understood that Nicolaitan literally literally means, in the Greek, is to rule over people. And so it's that whole, so, you know, clergy kind of rule over the people, and you have to do what they say and all this stuff. And it's, you know, you got the clergy and they do everything. You got the pastor and he does everything. And then all the rest of the people are just lazy and do nothing, right? It's just like what Dawson and Tammy were talking about, that every person is supposed to be going out there and doing something. But if that is, if that is what he's talking about, think about it. And I think it is. Jesus is saying, you guys don't like that view that there should just be like a pastor or there should be people who are in ministry and the rest of us are just normal or whatever, right? He's going... I hate that. I don't like that. That's literally the very opposite of why I came. That's the very opposite of what I'm doing. I want to be in every believer, and I want to empower every believer. I don't want just one dude leading the whole thing. Is that it's all of us as the body, right? And so he's going, you despise those teachings? Good job. I hate them too. <laughs> you know? Um, so the one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying now to all the churches. Right? So it's not just actually for them. This is for us. He's saying, if you can listen to what the spirit is saying right now, this is what I'm saying to all the churches. To the one who overcomes. See, it's not about the one who just survives. It's not about just the one who just makes it. It's about the one that actually is overcoming. Jesus didn't die to save us. He died for us to overcome. He, he wants us to overcome everything. I will give you access to feast on the tree of life. That's Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we get to feast on him. And it's found in the paradise of God. Um what was I going to do? Uh So uh, if you look at song uh song of Psalm four eleven through fifteen, it kind of goes along with the whole tree of life thing. And so I think it's I think it's amazing is that in every believer now, because if Jesus lives inside of us, he's the way, he's the truth and the life, he's he's the vine, we're the branches. He's going, if you guys overcome, you actually will be able to feast on me. We actually, in the, when we step into the paradise of God in his, in his spirit, in his freedom, he's saying, my reward to you is that you get to experience me and you get to feast on me. But that's actually reserved for those who overcome. So the, the kingdom is not a socialistic system. It's a reward-based system he's going, if you guys overcome, there's a reward for that. It's me. It's Jesus every single time, but there's, there's, there's so much fruit of who we get to experience Jesus. It's not like, oh, I met Jesus one day, got him, clocking out. He's going, no, every single day as you overcome, you will be able to feast on this new tree that is living inside of you. Every single day, you'll be able to feast on me every day. He says that his mercies are new every day, right? His mercies are new every morning. That literally means every single day you can discover a new facet of his mercy. So every single day for those who overcome, he's going, I'm going to give you fruit of myself. And you get to feast on that. every day. It's something new. Like if you can ever find the end of Jesus, then he's not God. And so every single day we get to feast on that. That is the letter to Ephesus. Um, Let's go on. I think that basically covers that. Let's read the letter to Smyrna. Verse 8. Write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Smyrna. For these are the words of the one who is the beginning and the end. The one who became a corpse but came back to life. I am aware of all the painful difficulties you have passed through in your financial hardships, even though, in fact, you possess (coughs) rich treasure. And I am fully aware of the slander that has come against you from those who claim to be Jews but are really not, for they are a satanic congregation. Do not yield to fear in the face of the suffering to come, But be aware of this. The devil is about to have some of you thrown into prison to test your faith. For ten days you will have distress, but remain faithful to the day you die. And I will give you the victor's crown of life. The ones whose heart is open. Oh, Judas. Poor buddy. Poor buddy didn't get a chip. No. He needs a chip. The one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is presently saying to all the churches. The one who conquers will not be harmed by the second death. So let's go back over it. Smyrna, let's see. Let me, what? I'm going to start back at eight and work through it now. Uh, Smyrna means sweet smelling, comes from the word myrrh. And is often an embalming spice. It is seen through scripture as an emblem for suffering. And so Smyrna is known as the suffering church. And it, it, but it gave off a sweet perfume to the Lord. Uh, and so in the beginning, he always gives a little nugget of who he is. He goes, I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I'm the one that was dead, but I came back to life. Like he's, he's giving that, that death and that resurrection power inside of him because he knows what this church has been through and what they're also going to go through. And so, again, he's going, Hey, I'm aware of your painful difficulties and your financial problems. Like Jesus cares about these things. He's going, I know what you've gone through. I know, I know the problems that you have. I know about your financial issues. And he goes, I recognize those things, I see them. Even though, in fact, you possess great rich treasure. And so uh, you can look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter eight, verse nine, that kind of ties into that verse. Um, where was I? And I'm fully aware of the slander that's come against you for those who claim to be Jews, but are really not. they are a satanic congregation. Um, what's interesting. I heard a reference on this when Brian Simmons, when he was translating this, he said, this kind of, he says, I wanted to be very careful when I translated this, because he said, this is kind of, this is a little bit strange, and he goes, I checked it, and I checked it, and he says, that is what the script, that's what the transcript says, that's what the word is, so that's what it is, and he goes, uh, you know, and if you can look back, even through ch- church history, is that, you know, the, and even we see Paul's journey of the, the Judaizers that uh, came through an attempt to impose Jewish rules upon, you know, the Gentile converts, and whatever it is about, I mean, it says, you claim to be Jews, and they're really not for their satanic congregation. I don't really know what that means, and like Brian Simmons, he was like, I don't know what that means fully. He says, I understand that they pro- they're working actually for Satan's purposes because they were trying to impose the laws upon the Gentiles and they shouldn't have and he goes but the whole thing about them not actually being Jews he said I don't really know maybe they were lying about being Jews but that's just what the word actually said and so that's uh, that's what it is and so then he goes on do not yield to fear in the face of suffering to come but be aware of this the devil is about to have some of you thrown into prison to test your faith That, that right there is kind of interesting. There has to be a certain measure in our theology that, that allows that there's part of it of suffering in the body of Christ. You know, he's saying Satan's the one that is going to throw you in prison and he's going to test your faith. And he even promises, you know, for my name you'll be persecuted and you'll be hated and some of you will be killed for not my name. And they're in the body of Christ where people lay their lives down for Jesus because we're in a war and we're in a battle. There has to be a certain measure of... I'm not saying... I don't want us to get way off. Some people take it really too far, you know, where they're like, oh, you know, you just don't really know it's the will of God or whatever. I'm going, dude, we're in a fight, we're in a war. He saw it coming and he was like, you guys better stay strong, because t- Satan's going to come. He's going to test your faith. God's not test. He doesn't say that God is testing your faith. God's there to build up your faith. Jesus, we see him here building up their faith, getting them strong, because he says Satan's coming for you, and he's going to test your faith, and you're going to go through suffering. And and whether if you want to take, it says, and for ten days you'll have distress, but remain faithful to the day you die. And there's probably, we could probably take the 10-day thing and go somewhere with it spiritually, but at at the same time, historically, that's what happens. I'll mention that in just a second. But I think it's so important, he says, "But he says, I'll give you the victor's crown. The one whose heart is open, let him listen. But the one who conquers, he will not be harmed by the second death. And so you can see Revelation 21.8 that kind of notes on that. But it... He just, he emphasizes, he goes, if you conquer, you won't see the second death. If you conquer, you'll be given this fruit. Like he is so emphatically, passionately ready to see us overcome. Because he goes, I know what power you have. I know what I put inside you. I know the ability that you have. I know the freedom that you have. I want you to overcome and conquer everything that comes against you, like Jesus is so ready for us to be overcomers. I don't think we emphasize that enough because the more we see Jesus, he's like, I died and I paid for way more for you just to survive. I paid for you to overcome. And so there should be no thing, there's not a thing in our lives that Jesus doesn't want us to overcome. And he continues to emphasize that. And he loves to see us do it. And so it's not us trying to be like, you know, when we go through something and we're like, oh, I'm going to step out in faith. Maybe Jesus will help me. Or maybe I have to convince God to help me. Dude, he's like your greatest cheerleader. He's like, heck yeah, let's go for it. Do the crazy thing. Let's become overcomers. Let's jump out there. Like, everybody else. He says, I don't care what they say. I want you to be an overcomer. That's what I created you to be. That's what I meant for you to be. That's what I died for you to be. That's what I'm alive for you to be. And that's what I'm empowering you to be. So he's going, go for it, become an overcomer. So it's not trying to convince God, well, maybe he'll help me through it. No, he's ready to help you through anything to become an overcomer. So uh, Smyrna is really interesting. Smyrna is in, under, uh, I believe it was in 92 AD or 93 or something like that, became, went under an incredible persecution by the Romans. And actually they did. They were uh, attacked by the Romans for 10 days, where they basically came through and they just killed all these Christians and destroyed the city. And it was, an in, it was a terrible, terrible thing. And the church became, uh, came under great persecution but here's the thing, in Smyrna, I think I shared the story maybe with some people, but we can share it again. the The head dude, whatever you call him, leader of the Church of Smyrna, was Polycarp, and I've to, I know I've told some people about it. But Polycarp, you've got John, the John, the disciple John. Uh, When he joined uh, Jesus and started following him, he was probably around 18 years old. He was the youngest in the group, and then he's the one who lived the longest. Some people estimate he maybe lived to like 100 years old. Like He he lived a long time. And and so he discipled many men in that time, but one of his highest regarded, you would say, uh, men was Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John and he was also the leader of the church of Smyrna. So, uh, when, this, when this persecution came, the, uh, Polycarp made such a ruckus because he worked in so many miracles and led such a powerful church in that area that the Romans came for Polycarp. And Polycarp's story is incredible because... Before the Romans came for him, an angel came to him in a vision and told him, tomorrow you're going to be burned for the name sake of Jesus. Okay, so what does he do? He gets up and he makes a big meal. And when the Roman guards and all the people come there to kill him, he goes, okay, yep, I know why you're here, but first you've had a long trek. How about you sit down and eat a meal? And so he cooks a meal for all the people that are going to kill him and uh, they all sit down, they eat the meal, and they go, okay, thank you, whatever, it's time to go. He says, yes, but if you could be ever so kind, he says, and give me just an hour that I may pray my last prayer, and they go, well, we're kind of intrigued by this guy, Polycarp, he made a meal for us, that's strange, so yes, they let him pray, and he goes into uh, his house, and he starts to pray, and he starts to pray for the men that are about to kill him. And he starts to pray and talk to God. And, and one hour turns into two hours because they just, they couldn't, they, they didn't want to stop him. And the presence of God became so powerful in that area. They said that he began to, the whole area began to glow. And that there was like a cloud in the room as he was praying for the men that were about to kill him. And when he got done, he got up and they were like, I don't know what we're supposed to do but we we have to burn this guy because we'll all be killed if we don't and so they get all of the stuff ready to burn him and all the sticks and everything and he goes it's okay i know i already knew that you were going to burn me you don't have to tie me up i'll stay i will stand there and i will stay so they don't burn they don't tie him up and he stands there and they light the fire and the fire is big and it's burning everywhere and the flames are not touching him they're going all the way over on top of his head and he's like in a bubble and he's just sitting there and it won't burn him it won't touch him and they don't know what to do and this goes on for a while and the head uh roman soldier says take a spear and stab him and they go up to him and when they stab him in his side two things happen one so much blood comes gushing out of him that extinguishes the whole fire. And at the same time as the fire is being extinguished, a, a physical manifest dove comes out of his side and flies away and he gives up his spirit and he dies. And that's how Polycarp that, who of Smyrna died. That's an a pretty incredible story. But that is many, many of the early church fathers and mothers, if you want to say, had these stories and lived these lifestyles. I won't get into it now, but the story of Fotini, who was a, an amazing, amazing woman of God, has something very similar that will just blow your mind. But so that's Smyrna. Smyrna. And that's what uh, Jesus saw that was coming. What time is it? Where are we at? We're almost eight. Um, It might take us a while to get through seven of these. We're only on two. (laughs) But I don't know if we should get into the third one. Let's try it. I'll, okay? Verse 12. This is the letter to Pergamum. Write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Pergamum. For these are the words of the one whose words pierce the hearts of men. Um, Pergamum means married or elevation. Uh, Pergamum was interesting. It was on a high like mountain like cliff thing and in that area they had a a uh, Pergamum was known that you had to worship and this kind of plays into why he talks to him. You have to basically worship the emperor of Rome but then they also had a uh, temple. I believe it's for Zeus. I don't know which god it was. Is it Zeus? Yeah. Yeah. So they had a temple for the Greek god of Zeus, and then you also had to worship um, uh, uh, the Roman emperor. So that's kind of important. It was on a real high place. 13. I know where you live, where Satan sits enthroned, yet you still cling faithfully to the power of my name. You did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of my faithful martyr Antipas, who is executed in your city where Satan lives. That's so reassuring. What if Jesus said, I know that Satan lives in your city. <laughs> that would really be fantastic. Thanks, Jesus. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. So there's that love sandwich. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to eat things that were sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Furthermore, you have some who hold the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. So repent then, or I will come quickly to war against them with the sword of my mouth. But the one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is presently saying to all the churches. To everyone who is victorious, there's that victorious theme, I will let him feast on the hidden manna and give him a shining white stone. And written upon the white stone is inscribed his new name, known only to the one who receives it. So, like we said, this was a, this was a Greek God worship place. They had a temple there, literally enthroned on like this side of this cliff mountain thing. And Jesus is saying, hey, basically, he's identifying with them and going, I know where you guys live. I understand what goes on in your city where Satan sits enthroned. He says, I know that. I got you. I understand what you have to deal with. And yet still you cling faithfully to the power of my name. So he's going, awesome job, guys. I see what's going on. You did not deny me your faith in the days of my faithful martyr Antipas, Antipas, And this is what's interesting. Antipas was executed in, again, it was 96 A.D. or something like that. Which, if you get into the partial preterist and, uh, I think it's partial preterist model of interpreting the book of Revelation. They base their interpretation on an earlier dating of in the 60s like in the 60 A.D. area because it's actually when Jerusalem gets attacked and they go, oh, well, all of this is about when Jerusalem fell. But they have to base it on the the dating in the 60s. But Antipas, we know, was killed in the 90s. And so that kind of makes the pre-preterist model fall apart. But Antipas was again, he was a, he, according to church history, was actually believed to be one of the 70 that Jesus sent out. And then he became a church leader there in Turkey, and he was killed. They took him, and at their temple, they had a giant bull, golden bull-like thing, that you would open up, and you would throw someone in there and close it, and they would build a fire underneath it and would literally roast the person alive. And that is how, and that is how Antipas died. They, uh, he was drug up there, and they basically roasted him alive, and that's how he died for Christ. They had it really nice back in the day. Uh, so, where he was executed in the place where Satan lives. Nevertheless... Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some of you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites. So Balaam, if we remember from the Old Testament, Balaam was a prophet. But he got he got messed up, and he did the wrong things with his giftings. And he couldn't curse Israel, but he found a way to still make them fail. And he, he used his prophetic ability, and he taught Balak to oh, well, influence their culture, send in, let them start teaching them that it's okay to have sexual immorality with the Gentiles and eating to uh, idols and all this stuff. And so he's going, you people in this city, he says, you're being influenced by the idea that it's okay if you do some of these things, you know. He's like, it's okay if you, you know, that are sexually impure if that if you're sleeping with someone outside of marriage or someone that you shouldn't with or if you're eating these things he's going it's what essentially he's saying is you're holding to the teachings of mediocrity you're holding to the teachings that you're not passionately burning for me he's going you're holding to what Balaam taught them is that's oh well it's okay if I you know I know he probably doesn't really like it, but he'll forgive me. You know, he's all right, you know? And he's going, no. That is what will kill you. That, I hate those teachings. You're supposed to be sexually pure. You're supposed to be pure before me. You're not supposed to hold to those teachings. And so he says, you guys better watch it. And he's saying, and then he also says that they kind of uh, believe some of the, now they weren't following it's kind of interesting the other one with the nicolaitans they're actually following the way of the nicolaitans this one's they just had some of the doctrines of the nicolaitans so kind of there's a little bit of difference there and so he says so repent then or i will come quickly to war against them with the sword of my mouth and we saw that picture of the sword of jesus's mouth which he's basically saying it's not some people go oh they're going to come and kill the person but we saw earlier that the sword of his mouth was his correction and it was you know the word that cuts. And he's going to say, I'm going to come and I'm going to war with you the sword of my mouth. I'm going to convict you and I'm going to direct you and I'm going to you know, take care of what these things is. And he's saying, I'm going to come in my, with my mouth and war, and war against you. And so, uh, but the one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully what the Spirit is saying. I just love to the one who is victorious, I will let him feast on the hidden manna. That hidden manna uh, uh, da, 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 da. where was it and so this refers to the glorious relationship we have with the mystery of Christ within the hope of glory Colossians 1 26 through 27 and so it's the contrast of eating uh, the things that are sacrificed to idols and so this is what's kind of cool think about this in the Old Testament, they took the manna. Remember? Every single day you had to go out. Jesus fed them with manna. Do you know what the word manna means? What is it? What is it? No. That's what it means. Manna, in Hebrew, actually means what is it? Really? Now, a lot of people go, oh, it was probably bread or whatever it was. But the thing is, all of the, the Jews, when God did this, every single day you had to go out and you had to get the fresh manna and you had to eat it that day. And if you didn't, it turned into uh, worms and mites and stuff like that. So every single day you had to go out and get it. And, and it, they literally didn't know what it was. So they just said, all right, okay, little Jimmy, go out and get some what is it. <laughs> We don't know what it is, but get it and eat it. I don't really know, you know. So it's the mystery, right? It's mystery. And they took manna and they actually placed it inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Did you know that? And it didn't rot. And they put it inside the Ark of the Covenant. But here's the thing. The Ark of the Covenant was the carrier of the presence of God, but he, 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 he tore that veil that kept the presence away. And he says, I'm going to put myself inside of you. I'm putting the presence of God inside of you. That means we are the Ark of the Covenant and we have hidden manna inside of us. We have food that you don't know about. It's the mystery of the king inside of us. It's pretty cool. But we don't know what it is. We just know that it's there. What is it? <laughs> and so, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, you have hidden manna. Okay, and he says, and I'll let you feast on hidden manna. So that's saying I'm going to let you feast on the mystery of me inside of you. And he says, and I'll give you a shining white stone. And inscribed on the white stone is your your, your new name, only known to the one who receives it. So you've got a name on a white stone that Jesus gives you that only you know because he gives it to you that only you can find that name of what Jesus calls you. It's like, it's not like, oh, well, I have two names, but he's actually going, I have, I have something I call you. I have a special name that only you and I know, because I'm the one who gave you the stone, and you're the only one that can know, and so this is what we get, but the white stone, it's hard to explain. The Greek word Luecos or whatever can be translated either shining or bright, which would be white. It is possible that this stone shines brightly within. And then there's a bunch of references of where of, uh, of where he gets that ancient history. Blah blah blah. This could they don't really actually know what this white stone is. They ha- these are just guesses. It's kind of fun. There's just some things you're just going to run into that they don't really know. Uh, this could remind us of the stones on the ephod breastplate of the high priest or the Urim and Thummim. <laughs> I thumped them on with that. Sorry. The Urim and Thummim that glowed as God responded to the questions of his people. And so it possibly could be because so you had the Urim and Thummim and they would say, they would get up each day, And the priests would say, okay, God, are we supposed to move today or are we supposed to not? And one of them would glow if they're supposed to stay. One of them would glow if they're supposed to move. So possibly it could be that, you know, it is actually that it's the leading of the Holy Spirit of now we have that inside of us that we don't have to go to a stone and be like, what am I supposed to do today? But that actually you can come to him and he goes, I'm going to give you direction. This stone, uh, I'm putting that inside of you because I'm going to give you direction and leading every single day of your life, right? I want to be the Jesus of your daily life. And, and, uh, and it also, see there's many different understandings. It also could be in Jewish tradition when somebody was vindicated in like a court of law, they would be given like a pure white stone of you're clear. So it could be also that he's saying I'm going to give you that white stone that is your purity, that you're called, you're free from all of the accusations could be that um also what's kind of funny is now this is not biblical this is just kind of possibility i'm just throwing this stuff out here you just do whatever you want with it but according to jewish tradition uh jewish tradition has held that precious stones also fell from heaven with the manna nobody really knows but I'll throw it out there. Jewish tradition throughout the centuries has actually said that precious stones fell with manna. I don't really know. So take that however you want, It's but it's still cool. You get a white stone, whatever it means, put <laughs> your name on it. <laughs> and so uh, is only known by the one who receives it. We'll stop there. We won't, we'll, we'll end there. We'll continue next week with the rest of the letters. But all of this to say, so these letters are kind of interesting. Some of, once we get done with chapter three and we go into four, we go into the throne room, which is just incredible. I just, the throne room just blows me away. And then, and then, and then I almost said episode five. (laughs) (laughs) Episode five, return of Jesus. No, anyways. (laughs) No, episode, uh, 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 the chapter five, is also just, it's amazing, and really all of them. I just love them. I have to admit the, the letters don't seem to me as exciting, <laughs> but there's a lot of rich things inside of it. Of We see how Jesus ministers to his people. We see the things that he emphasizes. We see the things that he's like, each church, he gives a gift of himself. He gives a revelation of who he is, and it's really beautiful. And so you could sit down and you could, because every verse in the Bible should apply to you. And so you can sit down and go, God, what are you saying to me through these letters? What are you saying in these periods? What are you saying? And it can minister to you. But I, I think the highlights of what we can take from this today is that Jesus knows where we're at. He knows what we're going through. He knows about our communities. He knows what we do when nobody's looking. And he he passionately loves us and wants to empower us to be victorious conquerors. Right? We see that over and over and over. He goes, dude, stay passionately in love with me. Come back into those works. Do the works of love with me because that is why I have given you the lampstand of influence. If you ever stray from your love, then you have lost the reason I gave you the lampstand. The reason I give you my anointing is because of your passionate love for me, right? So here's the thing. He didn't say you lost your love for people. He said you lost your love for me. And I believe the more that we fall deeper in love with Jesus, the more we won't be able to help it but love people. Because if you discover how much you love Jesus, he's going to reciprocate that to you and you, will, you can't give somebody you don't have. And so you have to find the love of Jesus in the loving of him. And so he's going, because you love me, I'll give you a place of influence. It's kind of like the journey that we've been on is that I talk about is that I say, I don't ever want to make the mistake of hosting a person's presence and not the presence of God it's i don't ever want to try to go through my day and go oh well i gotta you know i want to be caring of people right i'm not saying that but i want to be i want to be caring of people but i don't want to be more concerned with what people think or what they're at but i need to bring jesus to these people and so i actually have to my first my foremost important thing is jesus i love you and i want to host you and i want you to be glorified magnified and expressed through me every single day. That is why Jesus gives us influence in this world. That is what transforms the world is when we fall in love with Jesus. If you find uh, people that don't influence the world, that don't change the world around them, you'll find people that's love has grown cold toward Jesus. Because you can do all the works that you want to influence the world. You can do all the works you want to try to touch your community. But unless you have the love of Jesus first, all you're giving people is form without love. You're giving form without actually the person of Jesus. And so, what is the number one care in our lives? It should be, where am I with Jesus? Every single day, it should be Him first and nothing else. That is what I would say the love that we have for Jesus attracts the anointing of Jesus. If we go, man, I want to I have a cool ministry and I want the anointing that that person has and I'm going to go to their meetings and I'm going to have them pray over me. I'm going to do all of this stuff. Jesus says, I don't care. I want you to fall deeply in love with me. The reason they have anointing is because they found a place of love inside of me. So if we would just fall in love with Jesus, he's going to go, heck yeah, here, have a bucket of my anointing oil. That is our total purpose. And then everything flows from that. And then lastly, is he saying, I want you to be overcomer, victorious people. I didn't pay for you to just survive. I didn't pay for you just to make it. I paid for you guys to come back into the victorious dominating, powerful, loving, humble rulers of this world. You are kings, and you are priests. Um, I love this term. I'm kind of stealing it lately, but uh, I heard somebody say is that we need to become uh, the holy barbarians. <laughs> uh, actually, it was Brian Simmons. He says, he says, I love it. He says, we need to be holy barbarians. We need to challenge the status quo. We need to come against anything that would come against the the knowledge of Jesus. He's saying we need to be holy and pure, but we need to be fierce. We need to be mighty. We need to be barbaric in our passion and barbaric for the kingdom, but in our holiness, becoming holy barbarians. It's kind of funny, but and so those are the things that we just grab from three letters of the church and we'll continue on into the other letters and then we'll even continue on into the throne room and then we'll we'll see we'll see the jesus riding in on his horse of what that means of coming after the sea and the beast rising up inside of us which is actually man and he's going i'm coming to kill those things i'm going to bring holiness i'm coming to bring love and so it's exciting and it it invigorates me just to go yes jesus He's not like, oh, you know, if you can just survive through it, you'll be okay. He's going, come on, guys. This is the revelation of who Jesus is. And this is what it's supposed to be. And so, I think that's incredible. And I love it. Let's, uh, let's all just stand. And let's thank him for his word. measure in which we bring honor to something is the measure that we're going to receive from it so whether that's a person or whether that's what god is doing in your life the measure in which you honor it the measure in which you go that's important and i like that and that and i love this and i'm going to honor that and i'm going to put this in a place of honor you are going to receive more from that right because if some, like, you know, if we were at a, you know, physics conference, and God forbid, but, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. But anyways, if we were at a physics conference, and the number one leading, like, physics professor walked in, and we just said, oh, you can go find a seat in the back, and we're going to let this, sh- you know, we're going to let a news reporter from CNN get up here and talk right? All we're going to get is a bunch of crock and communism. But if we actually put the guy that was most important and we gave him an honored seat and we said, dude, we want to hear from you. We like, we like what you say. We like these things. And so it's the same way with his word. It's the same way we see what he's doing in our lives and we go, oh my gosh, you spoke to me in worship. That was awesome. Let me write it down. Let me think about this. Let me, yeah, I honor that. That was awesome. Then he's going to go, I'll do it again and I'll do it more. And so it's the same way in his word. So let's just, I'm just going to, let's just pray. Jesus, thank you so much for how you are being unveiled inside of us and that you are unveiling who you are. Jesus, Jesus, We love you. And we know that the whole world is groaning and waiting for us to get this. The world is sitting there going, man, I hope, I hope the children of God understand who they are. I hope the children of God understand what they can be. I hope the children of God get it because I need them. And so, Jesus, I thank you for your word. We honor and we love your word. And we thank you that you reveal yourself in your word to us. We thank you that you're transforming us through this knowledge. But Jesus, I ask even more that you would take this scroll and that you would give it to each one of us, that we would eat it, that it would go into our innermost being. And it may make our stomach kind of upset because it's going to wreck the things that we've believed in the past, but it'll be good for us. So I just pray that we would become this word, that we would become what you're saying that it would become real to us in our spirit. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you for your presence. I just pray right now that every person, as we go throughout the week, man, just agree with this. If this, if this hit, if there's something here, just agree with this. That as we go, that our dreams would be heavenly dreams. That we would wake up in the night with messages from you, Jesus. This book is about ascending into the heavenly places and meeting Jesus in the throne seated there, that I pray that we would have vis- heavenly visitations, each one of us, that we would, just like the ladder, Jacob's ladder, that we would ascend into heaven, that we would have secrets given to us, that we'd give solutions, and that we would descend with those back to earth and that we would release it into this realm. Jesus, I just pray that we would have visions and dreams. I pray now also this week, I release this upon you. If you want it, you can catch it, that we would have divine appointments. That as we go throughout the week, we would run into people we wouldn't usually run into. We would have conversations we usually wouldn't have conversations. We would have appointments that we would know that this is God. I'm supposed to talk to this person, minister to this person, pray for this person. And that we would be able to lead them to Jesus. That we'd be able to heal them in his name. And that we would be able to bring them into the kingdom. Whether we're watering the seed or planting a seed or harvesting it. God, give us divine appointments, every single one of us. We are the body, every single one of us. I'm just throwing a grenade out there. Grab the shrapnel if you want it. Hallelujah, Jesus. So just empower us to walk like Jesus this week. But most of all, let us learn to let you love us. And let us love you back. We were created to be loved. And we know that you are love, and so we give it back in this holy marriage. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, turn us into your image. If there's anything that's not right, I just pray that you would come and that you would just, with your loving sword, pierce our hearts and deal with us so that we would become the image of Christ. We become your holy bride. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen.